Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with Vay Casey. It's a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experiences of freelancers. Today on the show, we've got Parrish Ruiz de Velasco. Yeah. And uh, this is our first time to meet each other. And I think you're probably only the second or third person that I've had the pleasure of uh, having on the show that I did not previously know. Nice. So it's kind of fun. Um, We were talking a little bit about before this. uh, We were talking a little bit before this about how um, it is kind of interesting and it really is just a very, uh, because I don't know him, um, that it, it opens up a door for a very natural conversation where it's not like contrived or kind of like trying to talk about stuff that I know. So it's kind of fun and I'm really excited about that because uh, I've got some more guests coming up pretty soon that are going to be in the same boat where I've never met them before. And I feel like going forward, it's kind of kind of be a little bit more uh, the style of guests we have on. So I'm excited about that. Thanks for coming on today, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah. No problem. You ever done anything like this before a podcast or anything? I have not been on a podcast. This is my first, first podcast. First time to meet. <laughs> first time to be on a podcast. First time for, I don't know, other things probably. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. First Black Friday podcast. There probably. you go. Yeah. Boom. People that are listening to this is like, it's May right now or whenever this is going to come out because it'll be in like six months or nine months or something like yeah, you that. Gotta, you got to set the mood. It's rainy outside. It's rainy. November. It's a Black Friday. Black Friday. I've not done any shopping today and I don't plan on it. Same. Same. <laughs> no shopping for me. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and kind of tell the listeners what you do yeah, and how sure. you got there. Um, my name is Parrish Rizzi Velasco. I'm 29 years old. I have three kiddos, Jackson, Parker, and Clara. Um, I've been married for eight years and I, uh, am a freelance graphic designer and photographer. I do a lot of architecture and then some commercial stuff kind of as it rolls in. Um, and we all live in a 40 foot RV with, uh, our dog Mac. So it's pretty cool, man. It's wild. How long have you been doing the RV thing for? We've been in the RV for two months. I think the house closed a officially um late september oh man it hasn't even been two months it's like october 5th i think we officially closed on the house and wow. we flew directly like we didn't have anything in between so we flew directly to st louis to pick up the rv and then picked it up and then drove it home and put all of our stuff in it because it was all at other relatives houses like we sprinkled <laughs> stuff everywhere in garages like we gotta be out of the house but we're not ditching everything right we right just don't have anywhere to put it yet we sold probably 90 percent of our stuff um Furniture, everything. Um, we just kept clothes and some of the keep boxes from like the kiddos' school stuff. Mm-hmm. You homeschooling them? So Parker and Clara are Clara is two and Parker's four, so they don't need school yet. Okay. Um, Jackson is eight and he's doing second grade, and so even I can do stuff on the second grade level. So we're helping. I don't know when it gets to fourth grade, I might be a little. Like, eh, I don't know about that, well, but it's okay. You got a couple of years to get <laughs> got there. Got a couple right? years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. I, uh, <clears throat> I can relate a little bit. I'm in the process right now of downsizing and working on a school bus conversion to be a motorhome for myself. Schoolie. Schoolie, as yeah. they call them. <laughs> so I've seen cool. a few photos of buses that are obviously not former school buses. They're coach liners and people right. are calling them schoolies. And I'm like, I don't. That's not a real schoolie. I don't schoolie. think that's a schoolie. The whole term comes from being a school it's bus. It's a converted school bus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's kind of a nice, it's got to be a nice feeling kind of getting rid of that much stuff on some level. Like I've been some, it's something I've been looking forward to for a few years as I've kind of pondered doing this. Yeah. And as I've started to actually have the, purge. I actually had the feeling within the first like two days that we had the RV. Do you remember when the tornadoes went through here just yeah. like yeah, yeah. two weeks ago? 
So we were in the, uh, after we got the RV, we came back home, we loaded everything up in it, and then we headed straight for Colorado. We're like, we're doing this for real. So um, it's about to snow over there. We're like, let's catch the end of fall. And so we're chilling over there, and I get a bunch of phone calls like, dude, where are you at? Are you chasing these tornadoes? I do a lot of storm chasing and storm uh, weather photography and stuff like that. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, we're going to get along real well. Oh, yeah. You like <laughs> storms too? Oh, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, so I'm sitting there looking at radar and the first thing I just like feel all this dread. So we sold a 2,500 square foot house on half an acre is a 1930s craftsman home that we, uh, worked on for seven years. I mean, we redid the kitchen, the bathrooms, put a 900 square foot porch on the back patio. Uh It's got the old oak trees that are, you know, like 60, 70 feet tall. And I just had this dread of oh my God, my gutters, like they're going to be overflowing and I'm going to have to deal with all the sticks like falling on the cars. And just with a 1930s house, whenever it storms, there's usually like a leak or something that goes wrong. And I remember just realizing, oh my God, we sold the house. Like we're fine. Yeah, we don't have to worry about this anymore. Have to worry like, about a tornado coming? All. all right, we're going to go. We're just going to drive town. away. <laughs> So uh, you go find a good vantage point and stand on top of the bus. Exactly. And get a good view. I was thinking about putting a viewing deck on top of the bus. But I, I bet you will. I want to save it for solar panels because I want to do a full solar setup. I've seen a schoolie conversion where a dude has like a solar panels on top and mm-hmm. they slide out and then there's a huge deck no. underneath it. I want one. So you can have both, <laughs> my friend. Okay. I like it. <laughs> no. You wanted me to just go in uh, kind of where I started and all that? Yeah, man. Stuff? Let's okay. do it. I'd love to hear about that. Um, so as a kid, uh, my parents were missionaries and we lived in Mexico from when I was like 11 to 13. Um, and we did a lot of homeschooling and traveling around and it was good and bad for me at the same time. Like it was good to experience those things. But I think when we left, I was in fourth grade and had a pretty solid set of friends and it was really hard to leave. And then over um, in that kind of El Paso and Mexico area, just they were not fond of blue eyed white kids over there. Right. (laughs) So I got kind of like beat up and pushed around and stuff, but it helped me to just experience things and think deeper about things that I don't think I would have thought about otherwise. So it was really good for me to, to grow. Um, and, and let's see, church groups would, would come into town and work for a week on this orphanage. And at the beginning of that week, I was kind of shy. And by the end of the week, I was like best friends with these people, right? You know, you work with them and you're with them every day from sunup to sundown, you're working together. Um, but then as soon as you get close and kind of have, start having fun, it's like, oh, well, it's time to go. It's the end of the week. And, Um, so it was kind of, it was just rough because I don't know, you, you put all this work in and then it's just over. And so something that I realized, um, I don't know, I guess I was like 12 years old was to just break down that barrier from how do I get to the end of that week sooner? So that whole week can be fun. Right. And I don't know if it's like just being more vulnerable or what, but, um, it had, I feel like that experience has helped me land clients, um, be personable with like just meeting people for the first time. Um, and I think it does go back to just being really vulnerable and like acting like, you know, the person, like just yeah. have a normal conversation and 
letting your guard down instead of like letting it down over time, I guess. I don't know. So that, that helped me a whole lot. I feel like throughout my entire career. Um, so let's see, we came back when I was like 13, 14 and I homeschooled through high school, which I really just did dual credit at a junior college. So my dad just sent me to college for free because dual credit is if technically if you're homeschooling and you want to do dual credit, it's free at the college. But all I did was college courses. So, so you, how did you, so then, I mean, did you, where, how did you learn the other stuff that like in between are you just really smart and were able to do the college stuff or? So I don't know. I think my parents just focused on testing. It was really, was it the SAT at that point? Yep. So my dad just focused on the SAT. And so once you pass the SAT, I can write you a diploma and you can just go straight to college, which he didn't write the diploma until two years into college because it's free before. Right. Cause you're already, you're not like technically right. old enough. So technically it was it homeschool, but really I graduated high school with like enough hours to get my associates. So were the, the classes they were teaching there, were they more or less the same thing that you would have been learning? Exactly. In yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot really of kids are getting that right now, dual credit. And it's like yeah. they're taking high school courses, but it's also college stuff. I guess I would imagine some of that's probably probably because in high school, some of us don't pay enough attention or really learn this stuff. So then you get to college and it's like, oh, I learned algebra in yeah, high school, but yeah. it's been four years. Right. Let's go learn it again. Let's do it all over again. <laughs> so I guess they're just knocking it out, you know, two birds, one stone kind of thing. Yeah. But um, so came back, was doing dual credit. Um and that also kind of put me in a place where I was around a lot older kids. I mean, if I was like a sophomore around a bunch of college kids, it was just, you have to get uncomfortable and talk to people and um, let your guard down. Otherwise you're just not going to be friends with anybody. You know, you're the, like the young, like nerdy kid there. So um, that that's another thing that really helped, helped me with, um, cold calling and just meeting clients for the first time and creating that relationship with a potential client that helps me make them a client. So, um, in high school or get, while I was doing the dual credit stuff, I was mowing lawns. I could not go get a normal job. Like I just, I, my dad took me to my grandmother's house and was like, Hey, you're mowing the salon. She gave me 20 bucks. I was like, Oh man, I was actually getting paid for this. This is awesome. Um, and so I did that for a couple of weeks during the summer and then the neighbors noticed and like, Hey, will you come mow my lawn over here? And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. And they're like, I'll give you 35 bucks. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So grandma, you, you got to pay me more. Yeah. Now. grandma. <laughs> so before long, I like had the whole block and I was just mowing a ton of lawns and I don't know, 15 and I was, you know, making 250 bucks in one day. And I was just like, this is incredible. And I couldn't drive yet. So my mom uh, would drive me around in our minivan and I would just buy her Starbucks and she didn't care. She would just like sit in the car and <laughs> call people or something. So that's how I, that's how I really got started in the entrepreneurial spirit really kind of kicked off in me. Um, I, I remember trying to get a job. I think I started at Comcast cable. It was like seven fifty was minimum wage at that point. So that's what I was making. And I worked like all day for, I did this for like a month. I was like, there's no way I made almost no money after taxes and all that stuff. So I just, that really set my path from, <clears throat> I got to do my own thing. Um, I waited tables, um, just all sorts of odd jobs. I also like was the kid selling candy bars and in middle school, you know, like go to Sam's, get the big pack, 
and then sell them for so a profit. So you're destined to do this for I, th- I think like so. younger on, just kind of the way you see the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I just enjoy that. that thing. And I enjoy like doing it on my own. I think there's, there's something cool, like making something with your hands, you know, yeah. just doing it on your own. Yeah. Um, so what really got me into the creative field and I was, my brother was the one who was always really good at drawing and the creative one. And I was doing a lot of sports and was very like polo and khakis preppy. I don't know why I chose that, but that's what I, I was. So creative was really not in my mind, but one of my best friends skateboard all the time. And um, he was making skateboard videos on his MacBook pro with iMovie. And I was, I remember seeing him cut it together to like a red hot chili pepper song. <laughs> and I was like, this is freaking awesome. I cannot believe this. And, um, you know, they had, they had one of the newer Mac, iMacs or MacBook pros. And I was like, how do I get this? It was just, I didn't know it at the time, but what I saw was it opened a door to allow me to be creative in ways that I could not be creative without it. Mm-hmm. It was so powerful to see someone else doing that and controlling it and making this really cool thing. It was just a skate skate video, but the potential was unlimited. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> so with the, with mowing the lawns and stuff, I saved up my money, uh, went on Craigslist, <clears throat> got a 17 inch MacBook pro. And the guy was super shady. He was like, yeah, if you give me an extra 50 bucks, I'll put all the Adobe suite on there. And I was like, Okay, I don't care. <laughs> like, sweet, <I'm, laughs> sweet. This is like pre-subscription, yeah, like yeah, internet phoning home and being like, "Hey, right. is this valid?" Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I just said, "Yeah, throw it on there. That's cool." And he's like, it, "I think he threw on a ton of music on there too." It, it was like a super shady transaction, but um, it changed my life. It really did. And I think, I think without having those softwares to play around with and try out and stuff, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I, I don't know, maybe Adobe, I, I know they have like a student discount or something, mm-hmm. but how old are you at that point when you did that? 16, okay. maybe. Okay. Um, so I just started playing around making YouTube videos, movie posters with my head on it. Like I took the, I think 007 Daniel Craig was big at that time. So I took the, 007 poster and put my head on his and anyways it's super cheesy and corny but it's okay. i was I just did, having fun dude i did that with the grudge i oh, had long nice. hair and i did a grudge three poster and it was me <laughs> that's awesome i did Making... all the things you're talking about i'm like yep i did yes, that i did yes. that that was me in high okay. school that was yep very similar <laughs> you know what? i think there's just something great about that is you're just doing it for yourself you're just having fun and that's where I don't know when, when you're passionate about something, you just go do it for fun. And it's, it's, it's an exciting thing to kind of be in that zone. So I was making YouTube videos and I got onto YouTube, let's see, maybe 2008. So it was pretty early YouTube days. Yeah. Cause Um, they came. Oh, Oh six. Oh five. Oh six. Something right around there. And so no one had hit a million subscribers. I think people were just hitting a hundred thousand subscribers type of deal. Um, and I <laughs> probably pre ads too. I don't think had any ads at that point. Did they? I don't know. I can't even remember. remember. So long it's been, ago. Yeah, oh, wait. Yeah. That's 11 years ago, but mm-hmm. I'm like an old man now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I just did these stupid skits and, 
uh, prank calls. One of my videos got like 10,000 views and I was hooked at that point. Like the con, the, uh, the comments and the likes and the subscriptions. And, um, it was just this fuel that I was like, I gotta do more of this. I love the feedback. I love like someone even made a video response to one of my videos. Like, I guess I was like 17. It was like a 13 year old girl or something. It was really, she's usually, she copied my video or something, but I was like, this is so cool. Like I have a fan or something. You know? So It's a great feeling. Oh my gosh. It's so corny, but uh, I'll send you the link after this so you can make fun of me later. Um, it's okay. We so can share old videos. I think made. one of the, it, it was a good, it was a good thing that I did this, but I feel like if I would have continued with YouTube, I would be in a even very different place from where I am now. But I elected to go to Texas A&M University for construction science. It's like, what? You're, you're talking about all this? Yeah, it's quite a different... Like, what? Yeah, my uncle is in the architecture industry, and um, I really looked up to him, and I guess a lot of my friends were going to Texas A&M and I wanted like the college experience. And so I don't know. I, I think I was, that was kind of a field that I wanted to go into. I was like, I could be a project manager and I like buildings and stuff. Um, and so let's see. I went ahead and stopped the YouTube stuff because go to college, you got a lot of homework and mm -hmm. friends and all that stuff. So I basically quit cold turkey. Um, and another one of my friends that, he didn't quit. He kept going. He he now runs channels with uh, over a billion subscribers. <laughs> Gosh, that's insane. Yeah. Dude. So anybody, any of them we'd know. Um, <clears throat> I mean, if he's got over a billion subscribers, surely you've probably seen some of the videos. No, it's animeme, so they will animate memes that are out there. Okay, um, there's one that's like your mama jokes, and they're animated. It's really goofy. I don't think I've seen it, but I've heard of that. Yeah. So okay. that's, that's cool. That's pretty wild. He, he moved to California, um, like a year after I left, he just like, yeah, I'm going to California. Some guys hired me to make their videos too. And I think he's still out in LA. <laughs> that's wild. It's yeah. amazing how big of a, like that one decision mm -hmm. can make and take you such a whole like different, different yeah. place. Oh yeah. That's wild. But it, I think it was good in the long run. Um, and I was like, I can always leave after a year if I don't like it. Um, so I think I was there a few weeks in. Someone tipped me off to a job rec recommendation. And it was for Texas A&M University's rec center. They needed a graphic designer. And I had played around in Photoshop, like made the movie posters and made some lawn business logos. Um, and so I submitted an application and no one got back to me. And so I went up to the rec center and tried to get a meeting with the marketing director. And the rec is actually huge. It is, they have a massive budget. If you think about like 50,000 students and every student pays them like a $400 membership fee, whether they want to or not, they have a massive budget. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so they have like three graphic, graphic designers, a videographer, <laughs> like... Um, it was pretty wild. So I, I don't know. I couldn't get a hold of the marketing director 
And I even like, I went to the front desk and they're like, yeah, I don't know without an appointment, you can't really go or whatever. And when I was there, I noticed just a bunch of students just kind of like walking by the front desk. And so I kind of remembered that and I still didn't get back. So two days later I went back and I just kind of snuck in with a bunch of people that were just walking in because the receptionist is just another college student who really doesn't care. Right. They're just like sitting there. Right. So and I walk in tabs on every person. Right. Right. Of course. And everybody them. looks the same. You're all wearing like your gym shorts and people are just walking in and out. So I snuck in and I got a hold of the marketing director. I was like, Hey, I just wanted to say hi. I submitted my, uh, my application and just wanted to give a face to the, you know, the paperwork. Um, and it was really huge. It like really made an impact on her. And she was like, that's really cool. And she basically interviewed me on the spot um, and introduced me to the other graphic designers and we all hit it off. And so I was like hired within a week. I beat out seniors, juniors, sophomores. I was wow. a freshman. So it was, it was a really big so did, deal. Did you know where her office was or something? Or did you just kind of signs like signs on the wall? <laughs> yeah. I was like, Hey, do you signs. know where the marketing director's office is? And so, Oh yeah, that's right over there. And, you know, so it just worked out that I way. That, it was man. crazy. So that's great. Um, so that was my first graphic design job. Um, I hated school and loved my job. I, it was, it was almost like a really great freelance contract. Cause she was like, I don't care when you get the work done. I don't care when you like what time you can come in at 11 o'clock. You have a badge, do whatever you want. As long as you're getting the work in and then bill for your hours um, and submit the projects on Basecamp, and you're good to go. And I was like, "What? This is crazy!" So I was—I think uh, Pandora had just came out, so I'll just rock some Pandora, get uh, get some graphic design work done, play with my own stuff, and then I had access to cameras and computers. Uh, they were like really good PCs, like super decked out with big monitors, and I didn't have any of that. So I kind of did some of my own freelance stuff on there. Um, and I think I was making like $16 an hour and all my friends were either working a $8 an hour job or waiting tables. Um, and I was just loving this. Like it, I didn't understand. I was like, why is this so awesome? Could this really be like, it was like, where's the catch? It's gotta be yeah, something. This is something. Like, what's coming. And so I looked online I think it said graphic designers top out at like 45,000 or something. So I was like, okay, so it's not a ton of money. That's like an average graphic designer salary. And then the construction salaries were six figures or something. So, so I kind of recognized like, oh, okay. Um, but I had an art history survey two teacher. Her name was Christy Hext and I'll never forget her. I added her on Facebook. I say thank you to her every year for how uh, awesome she was, but she was so passionate about, um, what she was teaching. I mean, it was, she was explaining why the tops of the columns had these different things that mean it was, it was like civic or a library or, but she was so passionate about it. And she went, um, to overseas to see it all for herself. And she had pictures and I just was like, I want to be that passionate about what I'm doing as well. And I knew I was not that passionate about construction science or whatever it was that I was going for. Um, so I tried to change my degree and A&M had something called Viz at the time. Um, and it was more like 3D game design. A lot of people have uh, gone to Pixar 
from that program, which is really cool, but that wasn't what I was into. I was more communication design, I guess, um, print and marketing, stuff like that. And so I did not sign up for the next year. I went home. <laughs> and this is after your first year? This is after my first year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I had that job. I loved it. And I wanted to continue doing that. I was like, I don't care about salaries and stuff. Like I'll, I'll figure it out. I just, I loved doing that job so much. It was, it was awesome. Um, so I went home, (laughs) I have all my notes. I went home to Dallas for, I don't know what, like, I really just didn't know. I was just going to figure it out. And everybody thought I was crazy. I had like all my friends, moms, you know, kind of like, I don't know what he's doing, what he's doing, why is he leaving? You know, it was kind of, you could feel that tension from other people in, in that decision. Um, but it was a very pivotal decision and, um, it, that's another thing that just changed my life forever. So, um, I remember kind of like having a really tough time because I came home and I had that one job that was, I guess, eight months on my resume. I couldn't get a graphic design job anywhere else. Like they wanted, they wanted people with more of a portfolio and the stuff that I was producing was not that great. <laughs> Cause I, someone's like, someone just gave me Photoshop and they like, here you go, go create some posters. And that's right, what I did. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I had to talk with my dad and he's like, well, what do you really want to do? Like, what are you passionate about? I was like, well, I love, I love graphic design and photography. I'd picked up a camera there and took some pictures and I was really passionate about the Dallas Mavericks. Me and my dad had watched the games for ever since, since I was like four years old, we pretty much watched every game together. Um, he would let me stay up with him and finish the games. And it was, it was just a really big thing in my life. Um, Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, oh, the classics, Finley. yes, yeah. three headed monster, yes. So Nick um, Van Exel, yeah, Nick the Van subway, Exel, the game. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, maybe I combine some of those two passions. Like I loved basketball, I played basketball, and what if I can combine photography or graphic design? So how could I work for the Mavericks? So um, it was like, okay, there's a goal. Let me figure this out. So I added every single Dallas. Mavericks marketing person on Facebook. I went on the Dallas Mavericks website, searched their names on Facebook, added every single one. Not everyone accepted, but one, there's one guy that did. His name is Danny Bollinger. Um, and he was the like main photographer for the Dallas Mavericks. And so I bothered him. <laughs> I like texted him like every day on on Facebook Messenger. Hey man, if you need any help, just let me know. Like a week goes by. Hey man, if you need any help, just let me know. Um, so he said, yeah, like, I don't do any of that. We don't usually bring anybody else in, but, um, you know, keep messaging me. And if anything comes up, maybe you can help out on a shoot or something. Um, and so in the meantime, um, I was searching Craigslist and found a photographer job on Craigslist. It was shooting school portraits for Don Painter photography. They're one of the bigger you know, school portrait studios in the area yeah. in life touch. And so they were like, yeah, come on. I had no portfolio, but I think the people doing that job is very robotic and just kind of like, all right, it's, next. It's, it's more mechanical than it it's is very mechanical. creative and being a photographer. Yeah. And I was a wide eyed, I think I was 18 at that time and super passionate about it. Like, oh yeah, let's get this kid in here. So 
I think they gave me like $13 or $14 an hour and I'd wake up at 4 a.m. and get to the school by like 5.30 and set wow. up and shooting kid. Uh, whoa. Capturing kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, careful. Like, I still... Uh, I've had that almost backfire on I me mean, one ugh. time too. Yeah, it's... Uh, so anyways, I'll get, I'll get to that stuff later, but, um, capturing kids by like 6 30 AM till maybe 1230. And we, at that point you had, um, done like 350 students, you know, it's a lot. It's a ton because how many, there's 300 kids in a grade and you're, you're knocking out six grades in a school. Yeah. So if you have four or five photographers, they're split it up and we're just click, click, click all day long. So I had some math on it. I ended up capturing over 10,000 students' school portraits in that year. 10,000 students. That's wild. <laughs> so, um, but what was really cool about that job is they gave me lights, light stand, camera, couple lenses, um, and a computer and it was like, I was, I was tethered. I was importing and you have to use the meter, get set up with lighting really quick. Um, and it has to be consistent because they have like five guys back in the studio. Um, uh, what do you call that? Gr green screens. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're clipping like, out or whatever. Yeah. They're clipping out the backgrounds and putting the different versions so the parents can choose which one. So if it's not consistent, they can't run the actions back in Photoshop. Right. So you have to be really good at what you're doing and very consistent with the lighting. Um, so that taught me a ton and I was able to take the lights and do some shoots on the side just for fun because I had the, all the you gear to take it with you. Yeah. To set up. Okay. Right. So I had to have it with me at all times. Um, you're getting done at like 12 or 1230. You said, right? Yeah, so exactly. Like so then I had the whole rest of the day. Like yeah. Tear down and play with stuff. Whatever. Right. Exactly. And so that helped me kind of learn a little bit about lighting and gear and just having fun with it after, <laughs> after capturing all the students. Um, and I remember still looking for jobs and, um, the people, I was the youngest guy there by far. Like everybody else was probably thirties, forties, and they were going to be there forever. And I remember talking to my dad thinking, did I make the worst decision of my life? Like these people are miserable. Um, they don't want to be there. They're very negative during the day. You know, I'm very positive. I want to think positive and just mm -hmm. like have fun. Mm -hmm. And it was pulling teeth to get people to smile. You know, they're just, all right, everybody smile. And I'm over there like, Instead of saying, say cheese, I'm like, all right, dude, hey, uh, look over here real quick. Say booger. And they're like, what? <laughs> and then, you know, smile. <laughs> yeah. And I'm getting like really good expressions. I'm having fun <laughs> with it. And everybody else is, it's just morbid. And I, I like, oh my I just, gosh, I've shot a hundred, I've, I've yeah, captured a yeah. thousand kids <laughs> yeah. in the last five years. Right. So I was just like, did I make a bad decision? Cause these people are not happy where they're doing something creative. I thought it was creative and they hated it. And, um, I remember that was my first experience with realizing that it was just a stepping stone and that I needed to move on from there at some point. It was great to a certain point, um, but I needed to, to move on and that it wasn't the end of the world for me. It wasn't a bad decision. It's just there are seasons for everything. And I think without that time there, um, I also wouldn't be where I am. You know, it's, there's there's stuff that you don't want to do that may not be the funnest stuff in the world, but um, 
it's it's just building on your talents and skills and um i feel like to be creative you have to have the technical skills first right yeah so. you got to be able to you got to know how to do the stuff you want to do right like because right. eventually you kind of have ideas in your head that you want to accomplish exactly and you need to be able to know how to do that. Otherwise, it's just not efficient because you're going to spin your wheels trying to fi- like find that thing and figure it out. Right. Yeah. So having the technical skills and knowledge allows you to be even more creative. So it, w- it was a good time there. Um, so uh, during that time, uh, sh- capturing students... <laughs> I have such a hard time down. with that. Um, <laughs> capturing students, that Mavs photographer, I'm still bothering him like all the time, like at least once a week. How long? So at this point, how long do you think it's been that since you've added him? Um, a year and a half, probably. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you hadn't like met up with him or done anything with him at this point? Nothing. Okay. He, he didn't know me, um, but I commented on all his photos. I liked all his stuff and I messaged him constantly. And one day he was like, hey, dude, I need a favor. And I was like, whatever you want, dude, I got it. Like, let's go. <laughs> he said, all right, Mavs are doing a charity event. I need you to be like paparazzi for the Make-A-Wish kids. They're going to come down and we want it to feel like paparazzi. So we need a bunch of guys with cameras. Do you have a camera? Yes, I have a camera. I had like had a Nikon D5000. Just It did video. It did photo. It did both. So I, was, I loved it. Um, so I brought it and I had a on-camera flash. And I didn't, he didn't say that I was getting anything for it. He just said, uh, I need you to do this, be here tomorrow. And so I, I did it. I was there. I was like, all right, man, well, I did it. Uh, let me know if you need anything else. Didn't hear anything back. A week goes by and he's like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? I was like, nothing. What's up? And he's like, um, I've got a pass for you. Um, go to the press, not the press box, go to the media entrance and meet me down at center court what tonight like okay oh my gosh i was freaking out i mean i'm still watching every mavs game i'm like i was a huge mavs fan at that point so i not my wildest dreams did i think that that was gonna happen so it was hey, crazy dad I'm not gonna be able to watch the game with you tonight dad, i'm gonna be up again not sorry about it <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm not sorry dad. sorry not sorry you can watch me tonight how about that yeah Oh my gosh. So I remember like picking up the pass and I'm like shaking and I had no idea. Like, do I go here? And I'm like holding the, the, the badge on my chest, like showing people like to get in places. And, um, I'm like still on my phone messaging him. I think it was, uh, like iPhone two at that point. Mm -hmm. So it would take a while. And I, I was lost and somehow I made it down to center court and he met me over there and showed me around, showed me the locker rooms um, said, Hey, you're going to be helping bringing memory cards, um, from the court to the, what is it? The green room or the media room? Yeah. Media room. Media room. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is awesome. Um, and then by the third quarter, I think it was a blowout. And so he, he, I was getting a memory card from him and importing it to the computer. And he was like, Hey, why don't you just come back out with me? Cause there was a couple open spots on the floor. So I sat on the floor with my camera, just shooting like the fourth quarter of the game. And it was the, like, I almost got fell on Dirk Nowitzki sweated on me. Like it was, <laughs> it was my dream come true. And I was loving every second of it. And, um, it was kind of his thank you for me going out to do that. And I was like, well, if you need anything else, 
He's like, well, I could use somebody running cards and importing photos and sending to Getty. Like that way I can be out here during every second of the game versus like running back and forth. It's like, I'll do it. I don't care. It's like, well, it's not paid. I was like, I don't care. I'll do it. So <clears throat> I was kind of a photo assistant for two seasons, helping them out, run cards and uh, uh, tagging the photos with with all the metadata and typing up the stuff like Dirk Nowinski passes the ball to Steve Nash on November 29th, 2012 or something. So that also helped me learn importing, calling super fast, quick edits. Like they needed that stuff quick. NBA and Getty wants the stuff as it happens. Dude, that, I, this year is my first season doing some basketball stuff, the WNBA. Ooh, and nice. like, dude, it's, the most fast-paced yeah. work I think I've ever done. Those, those news guys, they are working super hard. It's, yeah, thankfully, I wasn't doing like stock like Getty or like right. stuff like that. Like I was doing video for social stuff for oh, them wow. for Instagram. But well, I mean, it's still, it's that. like, hey, can we get, you know, we need two Instagram <clears throat> stories during the game. Yeah. And so, yeah, the whole like back and forth and back and forth is a lot. It is wild, right? It's yeah. crazy. But it would have been nice to have somebody like you. Yeah. Come, like, hey, look, I need you to cull through this footage real quick. Pop some stuff on a sequence yeah, for me. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, let's see. I don't want to jump ahead too far. I did that for a while. So a couple seasons you did that for? I did that for a couple yeah. seasons. Um, is that every home game? Yeah, much? it was pretty much every home game. Okay. Yeah. And then if that was 2012, we had just won the, the playoffs or we just won the championship in 2011, I think. So it was still a really great team. It was really fun. Everybody's super hyped about Mavs and stuff. It was it was awesome. Um, and so during that time, that photographer also recommended me to some executive. He's like, hey, they're looking for a graphic. You do graphic design stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah, graphic design, photography, video, whatever you need. It's like, all right, go meet with this guy. <clears throat> so I put my best dress shirt on and went up to this really big building in Dallas and met with this executive and a couple other of his assistants. And they're like, hey, like, show us what you got. Like, what's your stuff? And I had some photos and a couple videos and a couple posters that I had done, some stuff from Texas A&M. And they were like, all right, I, I think I think this guy's going to work. Um, all right, it's like 30 grand a year. And I had never, like, heard salaries. I've always been hourly. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, yes. I was like, let's do it. Even though thirty grand was probably like a pay cut from what else. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not that much. As much work as you put in, it's so not. I was really excited, but then they told me it's for this company called Top Golf, and there's a Top Golf in Dallas and Chicago, and then one other one somewhere else. There was only three at that time, um, and this executive was basically on the board of Top Golf and was unhappy with marketing efforts or something, so he wanted to like throw his own guy into marketing which they already had a great marketing team and they're it was just you know a guy with a bunch of money who yeah. wanted to kind of insert his own deal Somebody, you know they gotta flex sometimes yeah yeah they, so he was flexing for sure so when i came in i was kind of unwelcome like oh this is this is like the owner's guy that's coming in and so it was kind of hard to break that perception because i didn't know the owner i was just like there to help out and he, he kind of had an agenda of like, hey, I want this stuff. And then the marketing director had an agenda. It was like, well, we're working on that stuff, but we got to accomplish this first. And so um, 
I worked with the marketing director really well and um, built a relationship and did a lot of good stuff. I think the like corporate events videos that I did were on the website until like two years ago. <laughs> like I did those in like 2012 and they were on the website for forever um, until they started really blowing up and they got some good stuff going. So um, that job lasted, it was like a three month contract and it was about five months in well, four months in, uh, I found out that I was going to be a dad. I was 20 years old. <clears throat> I'd been dating Amanda for three or four years and I was back home and we, you know, getting a little frisky, you know what I'm saying? So it happens. It happens. And so um, do children. <laughs> what? And so do and children. So do children. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that was a huge rock my world experience. Um, so, I kind of knew that she was the one forever. So uh, we kind of did the shotgun wedding style thing. Like, all right, let's go ahead and get married, live together for, until the baby's born. Um, and so let's see. A April, we got married um, and the baby was due in November. We signed the lease in... January, February, March. We signed the lease, lease in March, got married in April, moved in. Top Golf let me go from that job in the end of April, like three months after oh, I got gosh. married. So I was devastated, dude. It yeah. was, you know, I felt like, okay, I have a little bit consistent income. I'm on this career field where um, I'm enjoying it and they're letting me work remote because Top Golf HQ was in Chicago at that point. And, um, it was just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Uh, and you feel like it's the end of the world in that moment. Like, okay, now I have a wife to take care of a baby that's about to be born. It was this, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, so let's see, I, I got let go from there. I went to a wedding a week later and some they ran out of beer and some guy like just bought a ton of alcohol. Like he went to the gas station and just bought everything and came back. And so, um, I kind of took the initiative and was like, Hey man, I just lost my job. Like you're, seems like you're doing really well. Like, what are you doing? Where do you work? He's like, Oh dude, I work at a car dealership and we're doing really good. Like huge money. If you want to join, let me know. So I went immediately to selling used cars. <laughs> Worst job ever. I mean, it was, they were snakes over there and that's not my personality. So I was selling 12 cars, the honest way. And these guys are selling like five cars, not the honest way. Like I was doing really good. I was one of the top salesmen, but it was so crooked and the team was crooked. And, um, it was, it was brutal hours. I would leave at 6 a.m. to get there by 7 because the dealership was in Grapevine and I lived in South Dallas. Um, it was brutal hours, but <clears throat> I learned salesmanship at this job. I learned negotiating with clients and with people and understanding the psychology of certain things of like how they're reacting to what you're saying. And if you think you have room or not, it was a really valuable sales job experience, even though I, I hated every second of it. And I didn't realize how valuable it was until later. Um, uh, 
I, I kind of keep saying these jobs because a lot of people, younger people, they just want to be in that job that they want to be in. Yeah. But there's a lot of value in learning these different traits and skills in all these different areas while you're building your portfolio, while you're building your clientele. And so instead of being super negative and wanting to quit those jobs, like maybe find a way to see how that can benefit you later on in life, stick it out, do the best that you can, you know, make it a game. I'm very competitive. So I like to make stuff games like, okay, how many cars can I sell this month? Like, you know, how can psychology help me win this deal instead of lose this client? It's it. So it just helped me learn a whole bunch. Um, so (laughs) after, after the car dealership and, and I quit because I hated it so much, I was there six months and I learned everything that I could learn, but I think they, they sold a car that had an oil leak to someone and they knew about it and it wouldn't pass inspection. They wrote a fake inspection sticker and, and it was one of the people that I was working with and I wouldn't do it. So some other guy did the deal anyways. And I was just like, I can't, I can't be around that. Like, I don't know. It's yeah, just, no, just not you, my this... deal. So I quit. Um, and everybody there was mad. Like everybody was like, what the, you like, dude, you're, I don't know what I can say. About this. I don't give a shit. They're like, you're a pussy dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, fuck you. And I was like, Oh, okay. And it really, it really affected me. Cause I thought I built a friendship with those people, but really they were mad because I was getting out. You know, it was almost the same thing with the Don Painter photography crew. Like everyone was really mad at me and I didn't understand why, but it was because I had the guts to go pursue something greater and move along and take what I could from there, but not get stale. Like it's Mm -hmm. time to go. Um, And I think that that is a big deal is, is knowing when it's time to stop. Was it hard for you to get to that point, like to get to that point to make that decision or kind of what's. What was your thought process getting to that? Or was it something you're quickly, easily like, oh, I got to do this thing. I got to quit. I think I wanted to quit for a while just because they were doing some crooked stuff. I think that last thing threw it over the edge, but it was very difficult. I mean, after six months of being with people like 20 hours a day for six days a week, you build relationships and friendships or what you think are friendships. Um, and so I didn't want to disappoint those older guys. Again, I was like 20 and everyone else was like thirties, forties. And so I looked up to a lot of them and they were really good salesmen. Um, and so it was a very difficult thing, but, um, I faced my fear and wanted to pursue just freelance. I didn't have any time to build my craft to do freelance jobs. I was working all the time sun up to sundown and then driving an hour each way. (laughs) It was, it was the worst, but, um, so I quit that job and somehow, um, I got a big job. Someone from the Don painter photography crew recommended me for a video job. And the guy called me and just spilled all the beans. Like he was like, yeah, I called an agency and they wanted to pay like 15,000 for this video. And, I don't know, like where where would you be at? And I was just like, oh yeah, dude, I'll do it for like half that. 
<laughs> I think initially I was thinking like eight hundred dollars or something. Like I just needed some money to for rent. I will that do month. it for money. Yes, I will. How do much it. do you How have? Much That's fine. In your pocket, yeah. So um, I at least was able to like use those bargaining skills that I learned to kind of see what he had in mind first and ask the question like, well, what's your budget? Like how mu- how much? And he told me everything. I was like, okay, that's great. Well, I'll do two videos for half that. And I really needed the money. And I also wanted the work and it was baseball. And again, I'm, I was like a big sports fan. So um, that got me by for a while. Um, but it, it just wasn't enough. So I had to supplement. I did valet. I cleaned out foreclosures. Um, my mother-in-law runs a property preservation company. So you'd go in and like clean out people's crap from their homes after they got foreclosed on, which is, is the worst. It was just all the stuff that no one wanted and they just trashed a place. Um, and I did that for a long time too. Um, but it was more flexible as a contractor. So I was able to work during the day. Um, or, you know, leave at 6 a.m. and then get done with my job by two, come home, have some family time, put the baby to bed, and then work on my craft from, you know, 8 p.m. to midnight or whatever and just practice, play, tutorials, side jobs. Um, And I was building a portfolio just slowly, like one job at a time, video, photography, branding, graphic design. Um. And then during that time, I always brought my camera with me. There was this one house. Oh my gosh. I'll never forget this. It was a hoarder house. And it was, the guy had like died in there, but it was a time capsule. Like all his stuff was mid-century modern. And there was like plastic mountains of, I don't know, or mountains of plastic. And then mountains of like, Coca-Cola cans, mountains of Walmart bags. It was like the weirdest hoarder thing ever, but it was such a photogenic atmosphere. There's like dust in the air and the lights coming through the windows. And it's this surreal thing that you couldn't make up in your own mind. So I brought my camera with me everywhere and it was photos still. I do. Can we, can oh, I don't, we, I don't have them on me. They're like on right hard now, drive. Can we like oh yeah. Find them yeah. We'll go through them. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll wild. find a way to put the, in the show notes. Yes. So if you'll go check the show notes. For sure. <laughs> we'll put those up. Right. Um, and so I had my camera with me at all times and, and sometimes I like to just pull over and take a picture of a storm going by or something. I enjoyed the, the freedom and flexibility of that contractor life again. Um, and one day in April, um, I had the, I was struggling internally because I was like at the two, two year mark of cleaning out these foreclosures. And there was this one job that I had to do. It was an hour away, but it was a $15 job. It was called a, like a initial secure where you just change the lock out and see if anyone's there or not. Because if, the, if no one's there, then you change the lock. It becomes property of the bank. If someone is there, then you say, okay, it's occupied and you just leave. So it was an hour away and you get 15 bucks for that. Like that was barely going to cover gas for me. Right. You do those jobs though, because if you do go and there's a ton of work to be done, you get, you know, $2,500 of work. You got to clean it out, repair the drywall, fix the fence, mow the lawn, winterize if it's winter. Um, And so I just didn't want to go. Like I, I didn't know if someone was going to be there or not. And I was struggling so hard, but I made up my mind um, to push through and really just 
do every piece of work that I'm doing to the best of my ability. It was, it was a good breakthrough at that time. Just, I was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I almost didn't go do the job. Like I was ready to be done with that after two years. Um, and so I head out on the road and it's kind of like a stormy, there's a gray stormy day outside. <laughs> Much like today. Much like today. Parrish brought his camera in the car. And so there's this cloud um, on the side road. I had just left. I was like maybe 10 minutes down the road. And this cloud was super low. And I was like, what the heck? This is really cool. So I could turn right and go to that job or turn left and kind of like take pictures of the storm. I was like, okay, maybe I can do this job like later or something. Um, so I, I, the, the good thing was that I broke through and I was going to do the job. I didn't complete the job that day, but I still had the, the, um, I don't know. I had changed you, my perspective. You, yeah. You had still, you had made the decision yes. that was required to get you in right. the vehicle and, and go and like, with a good attitude. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, and, I'm going to go do this yes. thing. Um, and so I'm looking at this cloud. Now I realize it was a wall cloud, which is what usually forms right before a tornado. I didn't know, but it was like 30 feet off the ground. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> I just love weather. I, love, I saw Twister as a kid. Like I was all about storms and weather and lightning and all that stuff. And so I'm sitting there and it turns in front of a tornado within like two minutes. Like it just, it was a wall cloud and then it was a tornado and I'm taking pictures of the whole thing. Um, and so I was like, Oh my God. And it just starts moving like high tailing. Um, if you know, South Dallas, it was in red Oak, like yep. 35 and Ovilla road. Yep. That's where I grew up in Lancaster right down there. So I'm very dude. That's where my house was Lancaster on the town square. <laughs> oh no. Was this in 90? When was it? When is this? This is in 2012. Oh, so this is, this is not as, okay. it's not the 94 tornado. Dude, that thing demolished Yeah, the whole town square. Oh gone. my gosh. Well, half of it. And, and then it's still two years gone. later, the rest of it got, yes. Yeah. It was terrible. It's never, it's never recovered. It's unfortunate. Um, but that's where we lived for seven years. And uh, that's where we refurbished our house on Stewart Street. So like two blocks away from the square. Dude, I think, is that the tornado that was throwing semis? I saw that one, dude. Yes. Because I live in Lancaster off Pleasant Run. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I lived at home with my parents for like three months. And growing up there, we had experiences with tornadoes a lot. And so they didn't really like, like I was pretty familiar with them in 96. I think it was our house got hit by one yep. and tore off like most of our roof. Yeah. And I lived through that. Like the next morning I went back and the roof over my bed was gone. And so I'm like, you know, so, so, so then in 2012 when I'm living with my parents for a couple months, yeah. there's that, whatever day that was, it's like middle of the day. I hear the tornado. It was April 4th, 2012. April 4th, 2012. There we go. I'm, 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 I'm sitting uh, in my parents' house and I hear the tornado sirens go off mm -hmm. and I'm going, hey, okay, whatever. Like I growing up, I would hear them every, like every month or every couple of weeks, they would test them. And then I started noticing, I'm like, man, it is like really coming. It is raining really hard. It's really coming down out there. I wonder if there's anything actually going on. Oh yeah. So I flip on the TV and I mean, just the, t the channel that was on, the weather was on as soon as the TV turned on and they're like, yeah, we got these tornadoes and down south in Red Oak heading this way. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, that's like, that arrow is pointing like right at my parents' house. I wonder if I can oh see this thing. Gosh. So I go out in the front yard and it's a huge funnel cloud that it's probably, it's probably 10 or 15 miles south of us at that oh, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I go outside and I see it spinning a little bit 
And I'm just like, dude, this is insane. Like I've wanted to see one my whole life. So then uh, after our house had got hit, my dad added onto the house at some point and put a basement in as a storm shelter. And so I'm outside with my brother and sister for a few minutes and we're like, Oh, we, we got to go inside. Let's go. Let's go in. <laughs> yeah. So we go in the basement for a few minutes. And after a little while, I'm like, man, I feel like if it was going to hit us by now that it would have. And so I'm like, let's go back outside and see. And it was a quarter mile down the road about to cross our street, oh my but it was gosh. going away from us. Yeah. And so I was it like, I'm not worried cool. about getting hit by it. Right. And so we just stood at the end of the driveway and I just like watched it cross yeah. the road. And dude, that was the thing that made me go, I want to chase storms. Oh yeah. And I haven't gotten to a whole much, a whole lot since then, but like what's one of my goals to, to get out and chase more. Cause it's just incredible, man, to see that and to hear the sound and then to be in the middle of that and yeah. that like calmness. That's well, in you the think about air it a storm is the visual representation for air yeah. that you really can't see. Yeah. So it's a really cool. I'll put those visual. videos up too. I got I have videos of that stuff. Oh, nice. And so I'll throw those up on the the show notes as well. So it's while you were looking at that, <laughs> you were looking. At I was chasing photos. it, taking photos. Um, and so let's see. I followed it all the way from man. I was on the south side of Ovilla. And I chased it all the way up 35, headed it off on 20, and then exited, I think it was, what's that main 342, I think it is? Is that Lancaster yeah, yeah, Road? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's either Lancaster Road or Bonnie View. It wasn't Bonnie View. It was Lancaster, Lancaster, so it was Road, Lancaster, it was Lancaster Dallas Road. Dallas Avenue. Yeah. Dallas Avenue. I took the exit, and it was right in front of me. Like, I had just come out of the storm and clouds, and was like, oh, shoot, there it is. Again, right in front of me. I chased it for so long to try and get a good perspective of it i wanted a good shot yeah. i wanted a good photo um and so i pulled up at a stoplight and i snapped uh a few photos of oh, it whoa yeah that is sick dude it's it was wild it made um time magazine well okay i guess let me go back so i took those photos right before it started throwing the semis for those of you that are wanting to see this if you go over to the show notes right now there's a link to 1857studio.com and uh, that there is kind of all the images that we're looking at right now yeah it's one of the project links i just it's not like a real project but it was something that i it was in time so i threw it yeah. on my website <laughs> yeah um, so I took those photos and it started kind of getting rain wrapped and I wasn't comfortable at that point chasing it cause I, you couldn't see it. Um, and so I just hightailed it back home. I lived in Cedar Hill at that point. So, <laughs> so I drove home threw the photos on the computer and, um, was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And so I called Channel 8. I was like, guys, I got some awesome photos of the storm. And they're like, everybody's got photos of the tornadoes. Click. They, they straight hung up on me. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to work with them. So I sent a very small, like 400 pixel JPEGs, uh, like previews to Dallas Morning News. And I was like, they, every, if everybody's got photos, no big deal. Mine's probably not that great. And they got professionals doing that. I got a call, no lie, like 30 seconds. Like after I sent that email, 30 seconds, the, um, the head of the photo desk was like, you took these photos? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. I just took, I just imported them. Like, did you edit them? Is, or like, is there any edits on here? I was like, no, the, I just kind of edited some brightness contrast. They're like, 
um, okay, can we post them? I was like, no, I want like, I want to get paid. I, I at least need, like I wanted some money. And they're like, okay, come into, come into our office. We need to negotiate. I was like, come into the office. Like what? So, but I was excited. I was, I was super pumped. So at that point, I did not have a good website presence. I did not have a good Twitter presence. Um, I just didn't have all that prepared. Um, and so they said, okay, can we post, like, we'll pay you, we'll work out a good deal, but can we throw this out on Twitter right now? And I was like, yeah, go for it. And they're like, okay, credit. And I was like, yeah, just Parishries de Velasco. Um, and I didn't even have a, a, like, I had a Twitter account from a long time ago, but I didn't, I guess I didn't feel the need for them to like link me. I didn't understand what was going on <laughs> yeah. at the time. And it's all probably happening so it was fast. All happening so fast. Like, I was like, yeah, just, just chasing credit tornado money. and yeah. now all of a sudden. I'm going into Dallas Morning News offices. And so I go there and between the time that I drove there and got in, it had already had like 3,500 retweets, which in 2012 was a lot. Yeah. It ended up getting like some 30,000 shares or something on Twitter. It was wild. I don't think there was any news going on that week. It was, it was April there. I don't know. There was just, it took over the news. Um, so I negotiated some, some stuff with them and they recommended that I give the photos to, to, uh, Oh shoot. What is the main thing that, that news photos go to? It's uh, not Getty. Shutterstock. No, not Shutterstock. Uh, uh this is going to blow my mind. I can't remember this right now. It's the main like oh news organization gosh. that gets photos. It's my AP, not pop it, Yes, AP. AP Associated, AP, Press. Associated Press. Okay, okay. okay, thank you. So they said, we're going to pay for them, but we recommend that you give them to the AP. And I was, I just didn't know again. So they're like, I think you can get a lot of traction from these and then make some money later after that. So I said, go for it. They upload them instantly to the AP. Like the second that I said, okay, they, they upload them instantly because they get some sort of cutback from sharing these photos from one of their Dallas photographers. They not only get a credit on every single, it's like Dallas morning news, parachute de Velasco AP. So they got something from working that deal. But as soon as it went out, <clears throat> I spent the rest of the day in Dallas morning news offices. They gave me a desk answering phone calls. Like while I was there working the deal out, they're like, uh, is a parish around here? Did you have a phone call? <laughs> like all these employees are like, who is Parrish and why he's getting all these phone calls? So there was like people in Australia, um, CBS, ABC World News Tonight. Um, I got a ton of phone interviews. I don't know where those all went, um, but I spent the rest of the day just taking interviews and phone calls on these amazing photos. That photo kind of represented the 12 tornadoes that went through Dallas that day. It was just a really big news story. And so everybody was on it. It was, it was a really big deal. Um, It made Dallas morning news front page and it was six columns wide. They hadn't done a six column spread since the Mavs won the championship. So it was a really big deal to have a six column front page spread like that. And then it also made New York times front page like, Front page, uh, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, all these front pages, really all over the United States, Colorado, Denver, Canada, Buenos Aires. Um, and so my name was on attached to that photo. 
Um, so wild. It, it was really cool. Sitting here looking at it, it's like, <laughs> President assails GOP's radical vision. Romney bolsters his case to GOP with triple win. And then there's your photo. Washington Post <laughs> page. Yeah. <laughs> Romney rolls up three wins. Chinese premier minister blasts banks. Iran's spy master counters U.S. moves in the Mideast. Your photo. Wall Street Journal. Twisters yeah. drive down Tornado Alley in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. It was a really cool 15 minutes of fame. I had an interview the next day with Soledad O'Brien from CNN. She does a lot of interviews. And, oh, I ate that up. I, I was just so excited. And I I had to get up at like 5.30 to go do the interview at 6 a.m. Because that's what time her slot was. But I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I had to drive all the way to... It was somewhere in Grand Prairie because that was where another tornado had hit. Um, and so I'm sitting there. <laughs> was, uh, I, I got to find the video and I'll, I'll give you the link to this too. But I was like pitching my work in the interview. <laughs> so they're like, so how did you get these photos? You're not a professional photographer. I was like, well, I'm not yet, but I'm trying to be. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, we love this. Like Parrish, he needs a, a photographer job. If anybody's looking, like she said this on live TV on CNN in the morning. It's like, it's so embarrassing, but I can't believe I had the guts to kind of like push that. Like, no, I'm not a professional yet, but I'm trying to be, you know, that's what I'm doing out here, taking photos. And so, so goofy, but that was a huge thing in my career because I've been able to put that on my resume and every kind of client meeting and stuff like, oh, and here's these projects and here's Time Magazine top 10 photo of the year. And it was like, oh my God. Like, wow. <laughs> so, oh my God, did that perish? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, a, that was a really big deal. I have the, oh, so it made Time Magazine a double truck, two page spread um, two weeks later. And then at the end of the year, in the like man of the year edition, they do top tens of everything. And my photo made the top ten photo of the year. Like True. it was, it was in that list. And the photos in that list are powerful images. I mean, uh, pictures of Obama. That was 2012, so he's on like the campaign trail, I think, or mm. I don't know. That there was a lot of stuff going on that year. Uh, the Olympics. There was just I could not believe my photo made that list so it was it was just huge for my career and being able to show clients that stuff shortly after that so i was just doing a bunch of like random jobs i think yeah valet cleaning out foreclosures um i got a part-time i think it was 20 hours a week at a pr and marketing agency and so that was kind of one of my first real graphic design jobs again because top golf was really contract for like three months that mm -hmm. account and Graphic design at, at the rec center was not, it wasn't, it was, I wouldn't count that as real either. So, um, they hired me for like web design and graphic design. And so one of their main clients was Shelby. So I got to redesign the Shelby newsletter, like Shelby GT 500, do you know, like the automotive? So yeah. it was a big client wow. that they just like, here you go, redesign this. Cause what they had before was, it was no good. Um, so that was a big thing for me to also have another big portfolio piece that I still have in my portfolio. So, so by this point, you feel like you're like become more of a pretty like a, a more of a competent designer. Yeah, yeah, compared to where you had been before. Definitely. Okay. I was during all of this, you know, car dealerships, valet cleaning out foreclosures. I would still go home at night and do tutorials or see uh, what's hot right now, find inspiration and see what I really, what I liked and what I thought was good. 
and then try to emulate that. I would just see projects and just try and duplicate it. I mean, if I liked a brand, how do I make that logo? That's how I learned Photoshop so well. Um, Illustrator, not so much. Um, But it just, I don't know. At night, I was passionate about it, and that's how I relaxed. I just practiced and had some fun. Um, So it was a small PR firm. There was like six people there and they're like, we're a small firm. So we have the flexibility. We, that way, you know, if there's ups and downs, we won't let you go. You can stay with us for a while. And that was a big pitching point. I was like, okay, that's awesome. A we uh, a year into it. Um, we had just bought our house, um, in 2012, it was a foreclosure. And, um, one of my buddies had lived there, his parents owned it. And so I knew the house and it got sold a couple times and then it got foreclosed on and we saw it go up for sale, jumped on it and got it somehow. It was a hundred thousand dollars and I was making just enough from that part-time job and all the other jobs with my bank account information to get approved for that. So, um, we got lucky and got the house <laughs> stroke of luck. It was, it was incredible. Um, but about three weeks after I bought the house, I got let go from, uh, the, from the PR and marketing agency. Like, what? Been here before. Seriously. Oh, oh, man. It was it was brutal. It was a tough blow. Um, oh, man. Yeah, it was a really tough blow. So from... It was about three months that I was just freelancing and doing more odd jobs. And I was working on my portfolio folio on the website because I had had a few things now that I could put on there. Um, and so I was building a legit website and I didn't know anything about SEO. So I was just searching, um, other creatives, their websites. And like that would come up top of the page. And then you can always like view inspect element type of deal. So just look at their code, right? Like what are they doing? And when, during my searching, I found this uh, site called DSVC, Dallas Visual yes, Communication sir. Society. Very familiar with them. Okay, cool. So they have a job board, right? It's like, these are all the jobs that I would apply for. Oh, my gosh. So uh, GameStop Corporate was on the list. I was like, oh, I'm a Call of Duty pro over here. Like top 1,000 in free-for-all uh, ranked. Yeah. Don't come near me. I'll put the claymores down. Boom. You're done. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was that was what I used to I used to do video games. Um not not anymore. Same. I had to quit. I had to quit. Yeah. But um so I was thinking, okay, tying a couple passions together again. And all also like they have Master Chief in the freaking lobby. Like this has got to be a cool job, right? So um I'm trying to apply. There's no apply button. There's no contact information. There's nothing. I was I was like, no way. Like I I find this break. And I can't get a hold of these people. I call the front desk and like, hey, um, can, I was like trying to figure out about this job. Can I talk to the marketing director? Uh, do you have an appointment or do you whatever? Shut me down. Front desk is shutting everybody down. It's brutal. These guys at the front desk. I guess that's what they're told to do. It I, is. I don't know. It's the uh, what is it? They call them. I think they call them the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers or something like that. And that's like part of their job. Yeah. It's like a level of. Uh, I forget what you call it, but it's basically, it's like a layer of protection. Yeah. You keep Security. You yeah. These guys. So <clears throat> I kind of did this thing again and it's kind of also helped me a lot, but I just squeezed by the, by the front desk. What I did this time was I called it. I waited a day and I called in and said, 
uh, or I found the creative director online through, I think LinkedIn was, was going at that time. So I found his name and his title and called in and said, oh yeah, I was just on the line with uh, Paul Black. Is there any way you can reconnect me? And they connect me to the creative director. It goes through. He answers. He answers like his phone on his desk. Like how rare is that also? So sorry, this is tripping me out this story. And so I'm like, yo, this is so cool. Um, <laughs> I was so excited. I didn't wow, sound it's you. Whoa. Is oh, this, hey, Paul. This isn't an answering machine, right? This is <laughs> yeah, actually for I did not you. expect that. And so I was like, hey, I was just looking at this job listing online and there's no contact information. And I'm really interested. Like I really, I feel like I fit the role. It's a junior graphic design position. I've had a couple small jobs, but I'd love to learn and grow with your company and work with you. And I'm passionate about video games. And he was, he was like, oh my gosh, no wonder. We haven't been getting any applications for this role for like a month. I didn't know what was going on. You're the only one to call through. Like, really? So does that like give me a step of, he's like, yeah, you sure? Your dad yeah, does. Come on in for an interview. So I interviewed and a week later I got the job. <laughs> it, was, it was wild. But you really, I, I think, don't stop at that initial gatekeeper. Like, don't just follow the rules just because they're rules. Really think past all that and think outside the box. And that really, I think it helped me land both of those jobs that were pivotal in my career and my whole life. Yeah. Um, so I got the job at uh, GameStop and I was super excited and like all pumped for the role. And it was terrible. It was it was production graphic design. You're taking key art from games and just making the five thousand different dimensions of posters oh, yeah, that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Weed Master Chief on a Facebook header, yes, on a LinkedIn yes. page, on a Twitter, right. on a sidebar. And Facebook then you got to use someone a, else's Illustrator file who packaged it weird or didn't, didn't name you, anything. Didn't name anything. Have like ten times the amount of layers yes. they need compared to what's yes. actually in the final. And everyone there, again, it was that same level of people. I was uh, 23 and everybody else was 35, 40. They were all very professional. Everyone was wearing button downs. And um, there was a couple like hardcore gamers that wore gamer shirts, but they were the typical gamer. They didn't want to like talk to you or build a relationship. They wanted to get the work done and like go play Wii or something. And so it was just a tough job. Um, because of all the production work. And I remember there was there was a pivotal moment. I was there for two years. And um, I learned Illustrator very well. I was not familiar with Illustrator before that. But getting all these key art files, I had to learn how to use the different um, pointer tools. I had to learn how to use the layers, which are much different than Photoshop. Yep. Um, I had to learn to use InDesign because there was a holiday guy that was like 83 pages with over like 1,200 products in it and so i had to lay that out and i think that one ended up getting taken away from me because i didn't have good communication with the the toy people or something and they didn't like it so anyways i learned a lot in indesign i spent <laughs> like a straight month working on that and they took the project away oh. it was bad um but it was also cool seeing the these super professional um, how they layer their stuff and use blend modes for certain things and stuff like these, this game key art, you get the full layers to all of that because uh -huh. they supply it to GameStop. So it was really cool to learn that and see different tricks just by looking through people's files. <laughs> that was fun. But at one point 
um, in 2014, 2015, there was a moment I became really proficient at the softwares and I would finish my work quicker than anyone else. Like everyone else would kind of make it last throughout the day. And I would, I would, you know, I would get assigned, uh, 40 or 50 pieces for the marketing kit and I would have a week to do them and I would finish them in two days and then not have anything to do after that. And so I would go and ask my boss like, yo, I'm done with the marketing kit. Anything else you need me to do? And you're like, uh, I don't really have anything else for you right now. Like nothing creative. It's just that they just wanted me to knock out marketing kit stuff. And so I would spend my time doing tutorials or Facebook, just messing around, you know, like. Are you still having to be like in office? I still had to be in so office. So you're though. salaried. Right. Kind of in office yeah. kind of. Okay. Right. 50K a year. It was huge for me. I was like, what? This is amazing benefits and insurance. And I had a kid. So it was just. Unexplained why you were there for two years. I was going to ask why. Yes. You, you know, if you didn't like it. But right. That's, uh, I didn't it was, that. that's a, it was a thing. really big deal to have that comfort and, um, we had just bought the house still. So we had, you know, the thousand dollar payment a month. And so it was, it was a great, again, another really great, um, place that I built skills. Um, but when I was there, people had already been there for like eight years, 10 years. When I left, they were all still there. They're still there to the, most of them are still there today to this moment. <laughs> they have not left and, but they're miserable. I, I just don't understand it. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't how get do that you, anyways, <laughs> I don't know how to translate that to people, but if you're like stuck in a job, you just have to make the jump. You have to be willing to get uncomfortable, like seek that discomfort to progress where you're at. Like you, use it as fuel to push you forward, yes. not something to hinder you and hold you back. Don't let it I'm hold granted, you there back. There are like smart ways to do it. And well, I was there like two years, right? But I mean, I built yeah, yeah, other yeah, yeah. things and yep. uh, during that, I wasn't just sitting around getting my work done every day. I would do that and then build a portfolio, mm -hmm. reach out to potential clients. Uh, I don't know. Just, I did a lot of work outside of work as well to be able to leave that job. Um, and at one point, my boss said, he, he brought me into his office. This was huge. This, again, changed my life. He said, <clears throat> okay, Parrish, I know that you finish your work early and that you're, you're really good at like being efficient and knocking all this stuff out early. And I know that you come to me and ask if there's anything else. And I don't have anything else for you. But when you're done, I need you to make it look like you're working. Like, think about that for a second. I was like, I, I didn't, I, I was like, okay, sure, fine. Like I was pissed off, but I didn't, it sat with me for a long time. And I was like, hold on, let's look at this super objectively. Like just as a human being, like forget workplace stuff. Like you want me to fake this action for perception. So everyone else doesn't look bad. You know, so I can't work on my craft. I can't do something creative. I can't work on outside stuff. I can't do anything efficient. I have to have emails up on my computer or have game art up on my computer. So it looks like I'm working. And that moment was when I was like, all right, I'm getting the heck out of here. I'm going to find another job. And 
it was a really powerful moment for me. And I wish there's, there's some good people at GameStop. There's, I still have some relationships there and I wish they would have got that concept because some of them just got fired. Um, they got laid off cause GameStop's doing the blockbuster thing right now. It's going downhill. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, I figured out how to get the heck out of there. I had kept my relationship with that marketing director from top golf Let's see if that was 2011, four years later, um, 2015 at the end of that two years at GameStop. And, and again, I kept that relationship over the four years by reaching out every six months. Like, Hey, you know, if you ever need anything, um, at top golf, give me a shout. I would love to do freelance work or, uh, if you need a spot and by 2015, somehow, they moved the headquarters to Dallas from Chicago. I think it was just a better central location because they planned on going all over the U.S. with it. And she said, okay, I'm going to put you in. Thanks for reaching out. Actually, we need somebody. I'm going to put you in touch with our creative director. And so I had an interview and got got the job. It was for the same amount of money. I didn't take a pay raise, um, but it was a new place, new people, new things that I could learn and grow from. And I was totally okay with that. Um, and so, uh, that was also a really great learning experience. It was, it taught me how to really work with a team. Um, it taught me how almost like a marketing team should work. Cause I don't think. The PR and marketing thing was so small. I was the marketing team. Mm-hmm. GameStop, I was just doing production work. I wasn't doing marketing. At Top Golf, it was maybe 12 locations at that point. And so there was two, three of us on the graphic design team. And then we were working with marketing directors for each of the locations. And so they would have tasks and they would submit the requests and they would basically be our client and we would knock that out. So I learned a lot and I was there for a year. Um, and I got knocked on uh, LinkedIn. Some recruiter reached out and was like, Hey, uh, we love your like portfolio and your LinkedIn profile. Would you be open to an interview? And also during that kind of from 2011 to 2016, I always took an interview just to practice, just for fun. I like people. I like the challenge of an interview um, and the psychology of it. Like, what are they thinking? Like, what do they want from me? What do they want to see? Um, and so I took a lot of interviews and sometimes they offered me the jobs and I just didn't take them because I didn't really want to work there because I kind of interviewing them at the same time too. Right. It's um, got to be a win both ways. Right. right. Yeah, for sure. So some of them, they never got back to me and some of them, they offered me the job. Yeah. So I went on this one and I loved Top Golf. Like my creative director was awesome. His name's Carter Martin. He designed the Top Golf logo and brand. He's still there today. He's an awesome guy. Um and my the team that I was working with was awesome. They were all really cool. Guy Blake, he was from Portland, so he's super cool. Just like he worked uh at an agency in Portland. So I'm just getting all this stuff from these guys and learning and growing and I'm the junior designer, so I was loving it, soaking it up. But um, I took this interview just for fun and they offered me like 60 and I was like, "Eh, it's like 10 K more, but I did the math. It didn't really translate to a whole lot more on the paycheck, you know, after taxes and insurance and stuff. You end up in a different tax bracket. Yeah. 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 So I was like, eh, I don't know. 
So uh, I was also doing freelance work at home on the side and whenever I could like turn my computer to the side. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's and, just top golf, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. This is all top golf stuff. Um, <laughs> what was like some of the most random stuff? French truck coffee. That is definitely not top golf stuff. <laughs> People would just turn a blind eye, whatever. <laughs> top golf was awesome. They had a ping pong table. They had a, a beer tap downstairs. They, we would play FIFA on lunch break. Like it was, if you're in corporate America and I had been in corporate America at GameStop for two years, like they sat me next to the printers. Okay. On a floor with 500 people, it does not stop. It was nonstop printing. And then you hear the water cooler talk that goes along with that. Oh. I'm speaking GameStop right now. You hear the water cooler talk like it's the same exact conversation a million times. Uh-huh. So I grew to just hate that. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How about that weather? How about the Cowboys? Like, don't do that to me, please. <laughs> Makes me think of office space, that lady that's answering a phone. Hey, thanks for yes. coming. Just a moment. It was the office space experience. And that's why I love that movie so much. Um, GameStop was office space. It was the worst. And so I loved Top Golf. They even had a snack closet with like candy and chips and free Red Bull all day. Like it was amazing. It was the millennial dream thing. It was awesome. But again, this Solera tech company reached out to me and I interviewed and it was okay. And they offered me, oh, uh, there were, the recruiter was like, can you go right now? And I was in shorts, flip flops in a polo or something. And I interviewed and they, they still offered me the job. And so I didn't really want to move because I would be working for an executive and it sounded like a lot of work and the glass door reviews were terrible. Like everyone was railing on the company. <clears throat> so I was like, yeah, I don't know, like maybe for 70 and maybe I'd consider it. And they said, they got back to me like two hours later, like, okay, they said yes on 70. And I was like, uh, well, like, okay, what if like, I want to work from home. Can I work from home like three days a week? They're like, they called the, my potential boss. And they're like, yes, he said that you can work from home three days a week because he's traveling a lot. So you wouldn't have to go on the office. So 70 K all the benefits, $5,000 signing bonus. Oh yeah. They worked that in there too. Um, and work from home three days a week. So I, I thought about that decision for a long time because I, at this point, had knew, like, figured out what clients would be bad clients. And this seemed like a thing that would be a bad client role where they're just, like, wanting stuff all the time. I'm working day and night to get these people what they want. And it was a very scary jump. But the financial bump of, like, 20 grand, oh, I, I brought the offer to Top Golf and they almost matched it. They, they brought it up to like 62, but they were like, HR won't let us boost it anymore. Like, we can't do anything. And so I was like, all right, well, my main goal is to spend time with my family. I really want to grow a freelance business. Um, and so I've got to take the job. And it was so tough to make that decision because Top Golf was awesome, but um, it was a risk that I just wanted to just jump in and see. So <clears throat> it turned out to be awesome. <laughs> like what? Like all these executives and it's a tech company and it's, they own automotive technology. It's the most boring stuff in the world. Like this, the programs that insurance companies use to crunch numbers and, 
and do the estimates and then the technologies that dealerships use to to use marketing and recyclers use to keep track of their inventory like it's the most boring stuff out there um and basically i was just designing executive presentations and so i would get a very quick turnaround i would work with very important people on very high level presentations like this is a 10 million dollar deal and they want the graphics the the whole presentation that started at like 80 slides they want it brought down to 12 slides they want the visuals super sexy and hot for every single product that they're presenting yeah. and then they want me to understand what I'm designing for. And, and I had no idea. So I just came in there I'm like, all right, here's a product. We're pitching this product. Here are the slides. You basically are having to like learn what the product is and how it works yes. on a granular level to be able to definitely effectively design to be able to like explain it to somebody that's never heard of it. Correct. Less, I have right? to take something super complicated. I mean, this technology is crazy. There, It's like, flow charts of how all this stuff and who reports to who and, and all the data behind it and databases and what it could do and the ROI on this and the numbers and money and all that stuff. And so I had to study all of that. Um, and the first presentation was terrible. Like they just sent me 80 slides and said, make it good. And so I just tried and it was, they were like, no, this is not good. And this needs, this slide needs to be over here. And this is, and they just, they killed me. It was, it was terrible. So I learned how to um, really interact with my client at that time and, and help them to communicate what that super complicated thing is, um, how to communicate that in a really simple way. So I would say, okay, what is this? And they described it. Well, this is the roto rudder on the three, 9,000. And you take the a side and the B side. And, and what that does is it puts it in this database to make this here super easy to run. And so basically you're creating an inventory for all this stuff, right? I would repeat it back to them. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, so why didn't you just say that? Like, when, you know, <laughs> so I would, figure out how to translate it into a verbally like easy way to understand. And then if I could verbally explain it really easy, then I could translate that to a visual. Right. And so I got really good at that and they loved me. Like I helped them win a Mercedes Benz deal. That was like $10 million. Um, I did a presentation where they brought to eBay and eBay said, this is the best presentation we've ever seen. I was like, dude, that's pretty cool. That's eBay. <laughs> and you know, it's just like boring graphics, but the way the presentation flowed and how easy it was to understand and stuff, it really made an impact on people and really helped these executives come out of their own language and communicate to someone who wouldn't someone just like me who didn't understand it. Like you just have to explain it in layman's terms and the visuals help them stay on track for that. And so, um, I was there for two years and I'll never forget this one time. It was one of the best bosses that I've ever had. His name was Tanvir Arfi. And I wanted to go to Colorado and do some work. I was working pretty much full-time remote because he didn't stop traveling. And I was like, I wonder if I can work from Colorado for like two weeks. And I called him. I was like, hey, I think I'm going to take some time off and then also blend that into like a week of working remote. Is that okay? And he was like, Perish, look here. Okay. I 
don't care what you do as long as you are producing results, okay? And you are producing very good results. So I don't care what you do. I was like, okay, cool. So I'll be gone from like this date. Is that okay? He's like, perish. Listen, I don't care what you do, okay? You're doing a good job. Keep that up. Keep doing that. You don't have to ask where to go, when to go. I don't care. Just keep producing. And that's all the interview that you're getting this week. Whenever Parrish and I did this interview back in November, we ended up talking for three hours. And so I decided to cut this one into two parts. So next week you'll get the second part of it. So make sure you come back then. Or if you happen to be listening to this after April 24th, 2020, then the next episode is already up. So you can go listen to it and get the rest of the interview right now if you'd like. For the rest of us, we're currently in the middle of COVID-19 right now, which is a really weird time and uh, kind of uncertain, right? The truth is that most of us have lived most, if not all of our lives with a false sense of security and truly every day and every moment is uncertain. Uh, So in a lot of ways, life is not really that much different. It's really just our mindset and the way that we see things. Uh, I'm trying to adjust to a new normal here. Life has changed a lot for me recently. And because of the current uh, stuff going on with COVID-19, I'm not recording any new episodes until, uh, until things kind of die down with us a little bit. Or I don't know. I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around everything that's going on. But thankfully, I have a good backlog of episodes. So I will be able to have new episodes of Freelance Friday coming out every week until at least the mid or end of July of this year. So hopefully we'll be able to start getting some new ones recorded before I run out so that we don't have to stop doing the show. Anyway, once again, I hope you're all staying safe. Be with you next week. Freelance Friday is a Vacacy production. Vacacy is a freelance content creator based in the United States and available worldwide. Vacacy, big production value, 